Hey, you're not going to bed yet, are you? That's right. It's time for TV Good, Sleep Bad. Daniel Lackey and Elwood Jones. Hello and welcome to TV Good Sleep Bad. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Mr. Daniel Lackey. Uh, some kid chucked a rock at me and scored five points. <laughs> Tonight we look at the very unique letter, Kenny, as we check out the pilot episode. And it's time as well for our public safety theatre as we look at another classic of British health and safety films as we look at the finishing line. Uh, but before we obviously get into that, it's time to ask what you've been watching. And like since the last episode, has anything been holding your interest? Just uh, going through my epic watch of, uh, continuing my epic watch of Supernatural. I'm now about halfway through season eight. Oh, nice. Um, which, yeah, which is going to be, looks like it's going to be one of the, one of my, uh, one of going to be uh, figuring one of the great themes of, of Supernatural, which is, uh, Sam and Dean spend an entire season bitching at each other because one of them was gone between, uh, you know, the season finale and the season opener and didn't do what the other guy wanted. So they're going to fucking bitch about it for <laughs> who the hell knows how long. Um, actually, some of the episodes have been really good, but it's just bickering between those two just yeah. gets me irritated it's so irritating those two when they it's like yeah how the hell how the hell you think you're going to retire from from you know from hunting you're a hunter that's what you are sam and it's like yeah dean like you didn't re- try to retire from hunting like oh what like the last season break yeah yeah i remember the whole thing with lisa and little ben and yeah um but you know we're uh, we're we're getting through some pretty good stuff here. It's 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 a pretty good you know we we just uh, closed out the um uh the the oh god what are they called the Leviathan storyline which I guess everybody hates except me I thought it was actually pretty good I liked uh, as much as I kind of got sick of uh you know dick jokes with yeah. the uh, with the uh, the villain the big bad being named Dick Roman. Um, as much as I got sick of the dick jokes, I thought he, I, I thought he was a really good villain. I liked the actor. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, Felicia, I just got done with the second Felicia Day episode. God, I, I, I hate to say this, but she really does not have a whole lot of range as an actress. <laughs> she can pretty much play the character she plays in the guild, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, she's still 
I think I think she was in MST3K reboot, I believe. She she was in the MST3K reboot, yeah. I, I remember she used to be like really a thing, and then she sort of like disappeared for a while. And every now and again, I hear something about Felicia Day, but she's never like one of those people I can sort of like pin down of as, as who they are. So, uh huh. I I tend to think of her as one of like uh the the Joss Whedon type. You know, the she for some reason uh, for a very long time I had like a hard time keeping her. You know, differentiating between her, Allison Hannigan, Amber Benson, Michelle Trachtenberg, just all the sort of um, uh, you know, kind of like pixie faced, button nosed actresses that uh, you know he liked to use on Buffy and Angel. Oh yeah, so like uh, his supporting choices. Yeah. He has, he has a real type. I mean, it's not as embarrassing as the time that I kept, uh, the one episode where I kept mixing up uh, Jewel State and Summer Glau, but still. <laughs> I, I can, now you obviously mentioned it, I can see there's a real similarity between those two, and certainly in the characteristics of those two. Uh-huh. They're just like the very sort of similar, you know, the pixie dream girl sort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not a good time to be a Wilton fan for sure. No, it is. It, oh, well, I guess it's a good. I guess it's a the same kind of time to be fans of his stuff. I mean, oh yeah, you know. I mean, people. I mean, like what what I have a lot of people. What I do a lot of people are, are saying. It's like you know, throw out the baby, but not the bathwater. People still like Buffy. It's just like I, I, I always kind of had a sort of suspicious attitude towards Joss Whedon. Um, and I kind there was just something about I thought his his performative feminism that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I guess I'm not really surprised. But yeah. it, it's not like people should stop liking Buffy or Angel or Firefly or whatever. Well, it was quite a quite double header because we had the Wooden accusations that came out, and that was sort of like dying down. And then Richard Stanley gets the um, domestic abuse allegations against him, which are obviously still ongoing at the moment. It's all like, just don't be a fan of anyone right now. That's the only advice I can have. And I mean, obviously Richard Stanley was just getting back into his groove. I mean, he'd been out in the wilderness for God knows how many years. Gets uh-huh. brought back into the fold by Spectrevision, Elisha Woods' uh, company, who sort of specialise in taking quirky directors and giving them money to make interesting projects. Yeah. And he'd obviously done the first of his Lovecraft trilogy with Colour Out of Space, which I know there's people out there who really loved it, same as they loved Mandy, but, you know, it, it was okay. I uh, liked it. It, it was no hardware for myself. I mean, <laughs> hardware for myself is just always going to be this wonderful thing. And I think no matter what comes of this, I think it's going to end up with a real sort of Polanski sort of stance about it where we don't really like the man, but we like his art. Uh-huh. And there's a few people like that. I mean, you've got what, Woody Allen's, I think, is another one people are now like that on, and there's a couple of other people out there. Yeah. Um, so, but no, it's a bad Supernatural, I mean, it's still one of those, the series, I mean, I was surprised it only just recently finished, because you think of when it came out, it came out about the same time as, like, Buffy and many of those other sort of, you know, uh, teen Supernatural-type shows, and it was the one that's been, like, going the longest, and... What? Uh, no, it's not, it's not that old, it, it? it came, I think it started about the same time Lost started. Buffy was over by that point, I think. 
I did, I think because it, it just felt like even if I think Buffy may have been over, it was coming to the end, and I think that's why right. the timeline sort of a bit fuzzy in my head. Because but... Supernatural started in two thousand five. Okay, so yeah, and Buffy Buffy started. Did Buffy start in? It, it was on the air by ninety eight. I think. I think it started in ninety six or ninety seven. Okay, and I know it didn't run. I know it ran up. I think about seven seasons. So it would have been done like about yeah oh two oh three. But yeah, I think I think Supernatural started around the same time Lost started. Okay, it's um yeah, it's one of the shows I wish I'd I caught like when it first came on. Because it's like anything that's been long running, it's hard to sort of get into and commit to that many episodes. Right. But I'm, it's one I'm going to definitely do. I mean, I've done bits of season one, I've seen later episodes, and I really like what the what the show does. I really liked the dynamic. But when it was first released, they completely uh, screwed up the advertising for it here in the UK, kind of like they did with Firefly. And they were saying it's like... Um, just uh you know it's a, a show for like girls and it's like just this whole focus on oh how look how hot these two brothers are um and it just like had no none of the sort of like uh buffy element that supernatural obviously has even though supernatural goes a lot harder um on some certainly some of its gore level i've been very surprised with some of the episodes i've seen uh, there's an episode where some guy gets dragged in a crib and there's this huge blood spurt out and I thought that was really cool. So Yeah. Um uh, not to mention, I mean, obviously the whole catalyst for this, the um where you find like your girlfriend on the ceiling who suddenly bursts into flames, that's always pretty dramatic. Uh-huh. So yeah, I'm I will eventually get into Supernatural and I think we would certainly talk about it. We'll we'll pick an episode to discuss at some point on the show, so uh-huh. There's a couple of ones I want to highlight, uh, like the Wishing Well episode, I think would be fun to the, discuss. The, the Wishing Well episode is a, a really good example. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's 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 on the list to watch eventually, like so many other shows. So. Uh-huh. I'm just interested to see what they uh, what they go into next, because I think they both sort of dabbled with doing other like horror films and stuff, but they never really, neither of them have had like that big breakout yet, so... Right. It'd be interesting to see what they do uh, do next. So. Uh huh. Cool. Uh, anything else? So has it just been supernatural? It's just been supernatural. Well, I mean, I I have a new obsession, but we'll we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> so what about you? Um, for myself, I mean, I finished off the first season of Sword Art Online, which was really good. Um, again, it's. If you're not familiar with it, it's on uh, Netflix at the moment, and it's really, as we said in the previous episode, it was the first in those animes where the idea of you going into like the video game world and you being good at video games helps you immensely in these sort of worlds and all the usual leveling up sort of stats, which is weird now when you have a lot of these fantasy sort of animes now, they all have like leveling up and like stats and stuff, and it just seems really weird to have fantasy anime and just have like oh i've gained like 18 experience points i've got to go and cash in my things at the guild and it just feels very weird writing uh-huh. but the first um season of sword art online was pretty uh great with uh the game in the first 
the first season it was really split up into two it felt like two seasons smashed together really because you've got the first 15 episodes where all these gamers get trapped in this virtual world and if they die in the virtual world they die in reality and they have to fight for this sort of like Dungeons and Dragons style world and then by the second half it switched into this sort of fairy world and now we've just started into the second one it's gone into like a real sort of I don't know, kind of like Fortnite, it's all guns. Uh, uh-huh. The main villain names himself after his gun, which is called Death Gun, which really gives you an indication of who this show's aimed at. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, basically same, similar sort of uh, premise. Basically, we kill someone with this gun, it kills them in real life as well. So it kind of reminded me of Surrogates in a way, that Bruce Willis movie that I don't think anyone watched. I don't even think I've heard of it. Um, basically it's in this world where everyone's afraid to go outside so they live through, through like cybernetic bodies and uh, there's basically uh, someone going around able to kill people by killing the cybernetic bodies and it kills them at the same time it's pretty, it's actually one of the better late Bruce Willis movies I have to say before he went right. to start making like DTV fare which seems so weird to see Bruce Willis just making DTV movies now. Yeah. So, um, but the only other thing I've really watched, and this is just obviously because myself and my wife need something to watch uh, in the evening that's trashy, and that's uh, Love is Blind, which is probably one of the more bizarre dating shows where ten girls and ten guys, they're put into pods, they can't see each other, and they basically have to get married blind. So you basically uh, talk to someone and after, within the six days that they give you, you have to like decide if you're going to get married to one of these people you're talking to. And it's just, it's got a real sort of feeling of Stockholm Syndrome to it, this whole setup. Just this idea of you just, you only, uh, you t- know, you know someone's voice in a war and you're going to marry someone just based on this. But um the real sort of kicker for this was that we had several of these couples break up, but they actually wait until the wedding day in front of, like, friends and family when they stand the order to go, nah, I'm not going to marry you, which just seems kind of harsh. It's like, couldn't you have, like, decided this before you got to the wedding? It's, it just seemed a bit weird. But, uh, yeah, that one's on Netflix as well. We've got a new season of that on the way. So if you like trashy TV, it's one worth watching. And now I'm just obviously watching The Circle US, so... Find out who my friends for the spring are going to be. <laughs> That's the thing when you watch like Big Brother and stuff. It's just basically like your new group of friends for the summer or whatever. So, so if you want to break up your supernatural, you can always watch that. Lucky. So, oh yeah, it's weirdly addictive, <laughs> like all these trashy shows are. But um, no, as I said, I'm just this. I keep seeing advertisements in the new set of shows that are coming out and they either are British productions which immediately holds no interest to myself because we do everything so cheap or it's um, like we've just had a Your Honor, the new Brian Cranston one being advertised. Uh, I know he's in a new show but I don't know anything about it. Uh, yeah, apparently plays to judge. I can't watch Brian Cranston in anything after Breaking Bad. Uh-huh. It just feels that... I, I just feel he's... In my head, he's just forever going to be um, that character. And now whenever uh-huh. I see him just, like, trying to basically recycle... He just, he's even, like, trying to do comedic roles now, which seems, like, really creepy. Um, or he's just, like... It feels like you're just recycling the same role again. So I'm having real trouble 
enjoying anything Brian Cranston's done after Breaking Bad at the moment, so. Oh, come on. I thought he was really good in, uh, I thought he was really good in Godzilla. What, <laughs> the, the, the 20 minutes he was in it? The 20 minutes he was in it. Yeah. I was saying that, I mean, the new Godzilla movie, everyone's sort of bombarding with uh, Restore the Snyderverse at the moment, so. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, cheers, guys. <laughs> <sighs> Although it has had a strong foreign opening, so I'm really positive about that. But I don't know how it's going to be shown over here. Are we all going to watch on TV, or are we going to venture to the cinema? It's un- really unsure, because you guys obviously have the option of watching everything on HBO Max, which we don't get. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which I'm very envious of, especially as I saw the Suicide Squad trailer, and it was like, oh, oh. god, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, the, you know, words I never thought would come out of my mouth. I'm really hyped for Suicide Squad. I mean, I like the original one. It's not perfect, but it's like all the DC movies. I'm just glad they're trying something new. Uh-uh. With, with the Marvel movies, it just feels like I'm being sold the new, same movie, but it's got a different hat. Uh-huh. Um, or it's like just something that's completely overblown like I just like when you have the big Avengers movies and like three hours long who needs three hours of Avengers which is why I think WandaVision works so well for myself because it was like finally you're doing something different and now when I see was it um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier which I know again you Marvel fanboys are out there and if you say anything bad about Marvel you just get dogpiled and it's like just fuck off already. Yeah, it's it's just you know the the the, the big fanboys on the Marvel side and on the DC side, mm. they're so fucking irritating. It is. I think this is the the thing. It's like why don't watch Star Wars anymore? It's so toxic. These communities are. It's not fun in any way, shape, or form. It's just people you've having dick measuring contests because they know some bizarre fact or they spoil some bizarre thing um i I don't even you know for the most part i don't i I have about three people in the world i'll talk to about star wars and that's about it yeah you know i mean i won't i won't say anything about star wars to 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 people outside like these three or four Mm. you know because it's just they're so talk i mean i mean i'm not saying that every star wars fan is a toxic goob but so many of them are, and I'm just sick of arguing with them. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, okay, you know what? You don't like it? Fine. You want this? You want that? Fine. You know? I, I and, and, you know, I'm I, I, I'm fine with the DC films. I'm glad they exist. I'm glad that, I mean, they seem to be hitting some sort of audience that appreciates them. Yeah. Personally, I don't want a big, long, dark slog. You know, I don't need, I, I, I have... I'm trying to get some sort of, you know, justification for myself to watch the Snyder Cup, you know, but it's like, I just can't, well, you know, I can't justify watching a four hour long version of something that I didn't like the first time around. And that, you know, I, I didn't like much, much like, like it when it was reflected the, the, the vision of, you know, the replacement filmmaker. And I don't think I'm going to like this one. You know, yeah. I've, I've liked one Zack Snyder movie. Oh really? You know, yeah, the Dawn of the Dead remake. Oh, that's a good one to have. I mean, I think I'm gonna like sucker punch. I think I'm just gonna end up <laughs> being one of these people on the wrong side of that war. But I enjoy sucker punch for what it is, and I enjoyed 300 when it came out. I haven't 
rewatched it since, but it is basically war porn. So it, it, yeah, I mean, I don't really need war porn. Um, Watchmen, his Watchmen. Oh, Watchmen was like, good. Yeah, it, it looked like the comic books, but it didn't really feel like the comic books to me. Okay. I, I don't think he really understood what the comic books are about. Um, I am somewhat, uh, I am somewhat purist when it comes down to Watchmen. Not that I, I have any sort of specific, uh, you know, uh, sort of, you know, attitude towards, I, you know, I don't think that, you know, Alan Moore is a bigger genius than anybody else in comics. Uh, but I mean, Watchmen is one of my favorite narratives and I'm, I'm really kind of picky and I, I about it. And I, I honestly think that the, uh, you know, I honestly think that the uh, the HBO series really did a better job of ca- capturing the milieu of Watchmen than the Zack Snyder film did. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Alan Moore and like all the British guys that like came over, I think it was just a case of right guy at the right time. Uh huh. Um, and he, they just that's why they they made the impact that they did. And I mean, I love the Watchmen comic book, and I loved, I enjoyed the film. Um. And he was at, Snyder was actually talking about in the paper today about the fact they released it as this four-hour cut rather than the miniseries, and he basically came down to the legal side of things, and they were like so caught up. It's like, oh, if we release it as a miniseries, does it val- invalidate contracts for like that we done for the film side? And it's like, right. well, just let's not get into the weeds of this thing. Just release it as a four-hour opus, and we'll just be done with this, right? Because uh, you could just see them basically one of them was going, no, we're not going to do it at all. And it was his way of just, like, making sure that it got done. Yeah. And, yes, I mean, four hours is a long-ass movie, to be honest. And I haven't watched it yet myself. But I haven't seen The Irishman for the same reasons as well. Yeah, The Irishman... A lot of people like The Irishman. I didn't think it was particularly essential. Yeah. It's, um... But, you know, I've got a vacation coming up, and that's the time that, you know, you've got time for a four-hour movie. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so it's going to be me, Caravan, <laughs> about eight hours of cinema to get through. Yep. Uh, but no, it's, uh, when it comes to, comes to, I mean, I love, I enjoy what the DC world's doing. And I think obviously having someone like James Gunn removing the Marvel cuffs and just being able to just do what he's doing with the Suicide Squad. I mean, he's put Starro in it. Who's uh-huh. a giant starfish. <laughs> I mean, he's put like King Shark, and 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 he's not only does he put King Shark in it, he puts he casts Sylvester Stallone as the voice of King Shark. Oh yeah, yeah. He puts he puts Polka Dot Man in it. Yeah, Polka Dot Man. You know, that's like I I mean, it's it's not much of a step up from like say Condiment Man. It's yeah, he's very much in the very the one of those early villains. Really, he's like you know, like Mister Banjo. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's certain villains that you uh, think, well, they were never really good thing. The thing with King Shark is because I'm so... I really love what they've done with him on Harley Quinn. Um, I think they've done some really great stuff with him. And the same with Kite Man. Kite Man's really good on Harley Quinn as well. Where yeah, i got to like get a, around to watching that one day. It's really good. It's really, really good. Like all, like all the DC animated. And I was so surprised that... Um, uh, Kelly Coco, who was uh, Penny on Big Bang Theory, is just phenomenal as Harley Quinn. Uh huh. And they've got her basically where she did her. She splits up with the Joker, teams up with Poison Ivy, and decides that she's going to form her own gang, 
which is basically made up of B-list villains. So she's got Clayface, she's got King Shark, um, she's got oh, I think it's uh, Mesmero, the short psychic guy. Um, you got George Costanza. Uh, the is that his real name? Jason Jason Alexander. Jason Alexander's in it. Who's just phenomenal as well. And just the fact that again, it's complete is full of foul language and violence and it's just dc does throwing caution to the wind i mean they just have to respect what they do with like all their properties it's like when you look at teen titans goes the movie and they make uh-huh. fun of the green lantern movie right it's like oh green lantern didn't you have a movie it's like yeah we we don't like to talk about that <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah i really appreciate uh dc for trying something new and i'm for one i'm excited to see what they do with um, Suicide Squad reboot. Um, oh yeah. Although I think if so, you if you're a character that's not either talking in the trailer or featured briefly, you're not going to make it to the end credits. Oh, definitely not. Um. So, but but no. back to but back to Carly Quinn for a moment here. Yeah. I'm I have to I have to sign on to it simply because I see who's playing Lex Luthor, and that is an inspired choice. Who's playing Luther again? John John Carlo Esposito. Oh yes, from Breaking Bad and uh, Better Call Saul. Hey, he's a, uh, also playing the villain in the new Fall uh, Far Cry game as well. Yeah, um, and he was also in um, Okja, which I recently watched for the first time. He was time. in that, and I think he's on the Boys as well. He is. He's but the only man who can be threatening with a teacup. I can't. I haven't. I still need to get to the second season of The Boys. I oh, haven't it's... watched it yet. The Boys was just. I think it was has been another phenomenal series. I mean, that's obviously from the um, Seth Rogen, Evan Goldstein stable of comic book movies. They've just added uh, the animated adaptation of Invincible. Yeah, I've, I've been still hearing a lot of good things about Invincible. You have good. Because I'm going to start that this week. Um... <laughs> But yeah, they did a great job with Preacher and with the boys as well. They, the second season really only added to what they started with the first season, especially with uh, Stormfront. Um, I think because they read, I think they switched genders with Stormfront, but I think it really worked the choice uh-huh. that they made with it. And I think Cole Urban be, doing his American Cockney thing has just been great as well. So uh, Carl Urban is a he, he's a planetary treasure. That guy. <laughs> It's surprising how many things you've seen him, you've seen him in. Oh yeah, like once yeah. you realize who Carl Urban is. Oh, definitely. But um, yeah, I think uh, the boys. Uh, it's another of those problematic properties where the comic book is very much of its time. Yeah. And the fact that they took the spirit of it and you know reworked it for for now, I think has right. just been the best approach to take for it. If you did what. Did the same as the comic book now. I don't think it would have been as popular as it had been because it's sort of like the wanted book. Uh, very like Mark Miller, it's all very sort of crude and yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I tried getting into the boys, and I, I think I read the first volume, and I'm like, this is not for me. Yeah, you know, I went through. Um, I went through, uh, for whatever reason, uh, a couple years ago, I just basically went through, I, I basically pushed through Kick-Ass 
Okay. Which, you know, was a bit of a slog, and I really, I ultimately kind of got into it, but I'm just not a Mark Millar fan, and I'm never going to be a Mark Millar fan. Yeah. I think there's a time of your life where you can you where you're a Mark Millar fan, and it's normally when you're in college, or or a teenage boy. I guess it's the only other time. So, uh huh. Um, and I just I tried the boys, and I just uh, again Garth Ennis is going to be one of those writers I'm never going to be a fan of. Yeah, it, it's just not what I'm into. But. But yeah, I mean, I still got to watch that second season of The Boys. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 refreshing. It's especially because you know when we look at everything else that's out there, like the Marvel first stuff, like Agents of Shield. It's refreshing to have like a grown-up superhero show to watch. Yeah, um, that's that's my take on it. Anyway, I think that's why it seems it seems so refreshing to watch. So. Uh-huh. But I'm still going to watch like the um, Netflix Marvel shows as well, like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and that sort of thing. So, because uh-huh. I never watched any of those, so I should really get around to watching those as well. Cool. Should we get on to the first of tonight's three of them? Let let let's do that. Okay, we're going to kick things off with uh, Lucky's pick for this episode. And the only reason I say highlight the fact it's Lucky's pick because I haven't the first clue what's supposed to be going on in tonight's uh, first selection, and that's uh, the pilot episode of Letter Kenny. Um, Lucky, how did you stumble across this show? Because it feels like someone's pet project up in Canada that somehow got leaked out onto a network. It's it's um I got into it because I somehow stumbled upon the stand-up work of K. Trevor Wilson. Uh, who is a Canadian actor and stand-up comic, uh, and he plays Squirrely Dan on Letterkenny, and and he does these he does a, a couple of really great routines. Um, he does this great great routine about uh, the difference between Cap and Crunch cereal in in Canada and in the United States, and then he also has another really really great routine which I recommend um, about. Uh, road signs in Quebec, um, which uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure has um, uh, caused more than one person to go to Google Images and uh, type in road sign bearded man uh, blowing arrows, um, even though no good could come of such a thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, to the best of my knowledge, so and I, I, I you know I shared some of his stuff on. Um, uh, you know, I shared some of his stuff on Facebook. Somebody mentioned he was on Letterkenny, and kind of uh, I've been getting ads for Letterkenny on my Facebook, and I'm like, well, why not give this a shot? There seem to be a number of my friends seem to be into it. it it's uh, got getting a lot of cl- it gets a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be quite as noteworthy uh, in terms of Canadian sitcomness as Schitt's Creek. Um, That's so I thought, one I've, I've, everyone talks about Schitt's Creek, but I've yet to actually sit down and watch it. But Schitt's Creek is good. Schitt's Creek is really good. It's sort of like uh, it, it has a little bit, it, it it's a little bit more, I think, sympathetic. The characters on Schitt's Creek are a little bit more sympathetic, I think, than the characters on 
Arrested Development, but it's got that same kind of, you know, out-of-touch, rich person vibe. Okay, yeah. Um, there's more character development. Um, the Blues pretty much always stay kind of awful people, but the Roses do develop over the course of the show, and they're more sympathetic. But to get back to Letterkenny, so I figured, well, you know, I was kind of at a loss for what to do for this episode, so I thought, you know what, Let, let's do Letterkenny. That'll give me an excuse to watch Letterkenny. And it's my new obsession. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it, it, is a, uh, it is a Canadian sitcom. Uh, it takes place in rural Ontario and focuses on the, uh, the, the travails of various um, and sundry residents of the titular town um, of Letterkenny. Um, the main characters, in as much as there seem to be any main characters on the show, uh, there's um, Wayne and his sister Katie, uh, who both own a small and operate a small farm, and their friends Daryl and Dan, and then Riley and Jonesy, who are play with the local uh, hockey team because this is Canada. Um, and both it seems like both of them have dated Katie at some point or another. Um, and then another character who seems to be not quite as important at this point, but I believe he comes a bit more uh, important down the road, is Stuart, who is a local, I guess I would call him a goth. Um, but I guess the modern phraseology is today whatever you would call a fan of My Chemical Romance. Oh, emos. It, emos, you know, the dark, you know, the dyed hair, the cloaked <laughs> cigarettes. The you know the affected demean the affected uh, nihilistic demeanor. So and this is just basically kind of like uh, very much your kind of show about nothing uh, type of thing uh, that that you know Seinfeld did. Um, this first episode basically um, is just about the character of Wayne deciding that he wants to be the toughest guy in Letterkenny. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of prepping to, to, to fight all these people who, um, prepping to fight all these people and then also trying to get laid because his girlfriend just broke up with him and started dating someone else. And you get, you get, I'm kind of mixing up later, uh, episodes because I went through about the first four or five episodes, um, for this because they go very quickly. Um, so I sort of, binge them like I binged the state um, oh, the last God, episode. The, you and the bloody state and we, you had me like watch one season and it was like turned into like just we've got to binge the whole thing. God, you talk about that kind of being a new obsession. The state I was just God, that was an obsession and a half that one. <laughs> like, good week. It's just like, gotta watch more, gotta watch more. And now it's all sort of like you're trying to explain what happened on the state, much like with this show, and it's all like, if you just look at you with the most blankest of stares, unless they've seen it themselves. It's it's um, very, it's, it's more character-oriented than plot-oriented. There's, um, and more really, actually, more than anything else, it's dialogue-oriented. Um, it's very quickly paced. It's very, I mean, there are a lot of, like, funny situations. There is, uh, I think his name is Alexander, the guy who insists on taking his pants all the way down before he takes a leak. <laughs> um, 
and there is, you know, uh, Wayne's, uh, you know, Wayne's, um, you know, new uh, ex's new boyfriend who's a bit of a dandy. Um, but there's all this very rapid fire back and forth dialogue. It's very, very witty, very quotable. Maybe a little bit too. If I'd say there's one thing, it's 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 it, uh, one criticism I have. There, there it is. I think the dialogue might be a little bit too pithy. Okay. But that is what I thought of Letterkenny. I don't know that I have a whole lot of insight into it um, because it, it's. I'm I'm sure my my first response to it was, you know, what the hell is this? Um, much like I think yours, like what exactly is going on here? What what are they doing? What are they saying? There's a lot of slang. What I assume to be you know, Canadian slang on this I, show. I should really ask Kim, because Kim's obviously over in, in Canada, um, so she'll probably be able to, to, to fill me in on whether, the, how, whether this is how they obviously talk over in Ontario. Um, it's also funny when you look at this and you think this could be down the south and then you realise, no way, everyone's got a Canadian twang to their accent. Uh-huh. Um and it's funny you mentioned that this is a show about nothing because we obviously say the same about Seinfeld, but Seinfeld at least felt they like had a plot. This is just surreal to say the least. Um, uh-huh. When you're looking at these, it, it got very much the same sort of feel of Flight the Concords to it, um, in that you're sort of like just following these characters that they just gravitate towards one situation to the next, while at the same time just talking with these very obvious uh, Canadian sort of draw to them. Um, but yeah, it's as I said, you listen to them, <laughs> just the opening sort of conversation where we where they're having the argument with the two hockey guys. And you just listen, <laughs> just listen to put each other down in these real sort of uh, Canadianisms. Um, which was just very surreal to, to sort of like sit and watch this. And I was like trying to make head of tell of it because it's, very French comedy at best, I would say. Uh-huh. Um, so, I'm, as I said, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what, what it all means. But the when they, the fact that they go to, uh, was it the Burning Bush Church? Yes. <laughs> to, um, as a way to pick up chicks. Um, but all, all it seems to be is just like this... All these gay guys that um, are hanging out, they're hanging out in Grinder for some reason, and they're, they're chastising him for being on on um, on, on, Tinder. Uh, on Tinder. On Tinder because it came out of uh, Grinder, so they assume he's gay as well. So, but <laughs> it's and then we end we end the end credits with just the characters like coming out with more Canadianisms, where they're like saying it's sort of like. Uh, like that one time, <laughs> your your brother jacked off in the hot tub, and you learned that sperm can survive underwater, and you didn't want to go in there because you see Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> that's a, certainly an interesting piece of information. <laughs> so, um, I I think I need to watch more to figure out what's supposed to go on because I was like, I was watching this going. I know there's something supposed to be happening here, but I can't quite place what it is. Uh-huh. Um, and as you said, you've got this unique group of characters. Um, in particular, you've got the emo guy and you've got the guy who takes his pants down. And just, again, the whole conversation there where they're like, 
chastising each other for like looking looking at each other's junk on the, the urinal and it's like oh why don't you keep your eyes on your business and eyes on your own work there super chief <laughs> it's, it's yeah there's certainly something there I think but like unlike yourself I haven't seen more than the first one so I need to obviously really sort of dive into this more and, and get used to it and I think it's going to be like going to be like Frasier or Kevin Enthusiasm. It's going to be one of those shows that once you get the joke, it becomes a lot more funnier. And uh-huh. I think that's the point. If you watch just one episode, it's sort of like it's like, it throws it. There's no warm up with the show. It just throws you straight into it. It's very much like right. Trailer Park Boys. It's like this is what we're about. <laughs> yeah. Now catch up. <laughs> yeah. It, it's not. It's it's not something that really gives a whole lot to the audience. You know, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't do any hand holding. It's just gonna, it's just gonna pick you up and chuck you in the deep end of the pool. Mm. Um, I'll just have a, but um, yeah, does the the Reverend actually come into anything else? Because he seems to, he, he seems to have a very young girlfriend and likes playing the didgeridoo, which seemed really random <laughs> for Canada. Yes, and the fact he's that I, one of the the guy who plays him is one of the creators of the show. Oh right. Um. Yeah, because I, 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 I was like wondering what what his deal was. And it didn't help the fact I watched this in um, like back to back with um, Yes God Yes, the um, Netflix oh, movie about the, the um, Netflix movie. Yeah, the one with um. The one with Natalie What's her name from Stranger Things. Yes. Um, so yeah, it, it didn't help the fact I watched it with that. So it's just been a a weird on sort of Catholic guilt <laughs> this week. So what's those two uh, straight together? So yeah, it's. But um, yeah, I'm very curious to see where this one goes. So I mean, what what. So does the show really do passes? I mean, is it just basically them coming up with sort of schemes, or it's it's basically them coming up with, with schemes? Um, the second the second episode, um, uh, to give you an idea, of the second episode is called uh, Super Soft Birthday, which is uh, they're doing uh, they're trying to basically do the most emasculating birthday party ever for Daryl. <laughs> okay, and then. Um, uh, episode three is called Fart Book. Um, I hope you, I hope you like fart jokes because you're going to uh, you're you're going to get you're going to get a lot of them in this episode. The the gang gets the idea of basically creating a social network for farting. Of course you do. And uh, it 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 takes on a life of its own, and it is uh, really just a. <laughs> I, I don't even know. It's generally not the sort of humor I'm into, mm. but just basically like 20, basically it, it, it's a parody. It's a 20 minute long parody of the social network with these characters. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I'm just look, bringing up the um, the Wikipedia for it now, and they've got the quotes here, uh, which is really handy for like the opening fight scene quote, where it's like, you take your shirt off, but you leave your sunglasses on. What sort of backward fucking pageantry is that? Do you want to fight with those shades on or play PokerStars.com? <laughs> play PokerStars.com. The one that I, I think it's in the same episode is, uh, I got to look it up, but it really, it really cracked me up uh, because it just is so dialectical um the the you're looking for a tilly buddy let's have a donnybrook are they gonna fight are they gonna play cricket you know (laughs) it's like the opening scene of like the opening scene of this is daryl turns up with a yogurt And he's sort of like, Katie's like, roll that yogurt. And he's sort of like, oh, brought some from home. And he's like, why didn't you just stay there and eat it? And it's like, that is a good point. Why did you bring a yogurt over to someone's house to eat it? Yeah. Um, And then you have great lines like, there's millions of starving kids in the world. And Daryl's like, yeah, name 10. (laughs) (laughs) Or on a scale of one to America, how free are you right now? That was, yeah, that, that one cracked me up. Uh, and my personal one I want to really use here is uh, fuck Lemony Snicket what a series of unfortunate events you fucking been through you ugly fuck (laughs) that's the one I want to use next week (laughs) oh it's a four leaf clover make a wish wish you weren't so fucking awkward bud oh this is our new podcast now we're just going to do letter cutting quotes we're just going to do letter cutting quotes uh, in really questionable Canadian accents. Really we should we should phone Kim up and just that just was well brought. That was like, well brought up. Too bad you weren't. <laughs> it's like Kim, you're Canadian. Say these quotes for us. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, Garrett, Garrett, and you know Dan's second cousins, Garrett and Jared. <laughs> or that's what I appreciate about you. Oh boy. So, yeah, I'm. I'm yeah. <laughs> I think I'm. I'm gonna watch it again. And now, as I said, now you've said that. Uh, tell me the direction it goes for the next four episodes. There's definitely something, something there to to hold my interest for sure. So, uh-huh. but I think after, um, I think this is one where we will discuss more on our next episode when I've I've seen some more. But no, it's a. It's a unique one. I think this is one of the more unique shows that you brought, well, anyone's brought to this show. And, and I want to point, I mean, I point out, we've done Ultra Q and Japanese Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. And we've done Ultraman, done where, Ultraman. where the um, idea of uh, of fishing the lake is by poisoning the lake. Yep. Um, yeah, we've, we've, I know, we've, We've done some weird stuff on this show, and this is uh, this is certainly another one for the books. That's for sure. Uh. Uh, anything else you want to bring up, this one? No, I think that's about it. So, um, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, though, it's uh, time for another public safety film. As we're going to be looking at the finishing line. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Recall Podcast here at ThatMomentIn.com. I am your host, Laverne, and on each episode, myself, along with a guest, 
we'll be talking about an iconic scene from a classic movie. Which films will we be discussing? Well, that's all up to you. Because before each episode airs, we're going to be giving you a poll of great flits to choose from. Whichever one gets the most votes, that's the one we'll be talking about. So, listen to the Cinema Recall Podcast on the site ThatMomentIn.com, or on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Podomatic, or SoundCloud. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy it. And we're back. Um, obviously, in the first half, we had a look at Letter Kenny. Now it's time to journey into the past of uh, British information films uh, way back in 1977 with The Finishing Line. Another film that uh, you folks in the States didn't get, but had a brief appearance here in the UK before it was removed from circulation. Uh, but it has been um, preserved. It's uh, been preserved by the BFI, so if you go into uh, the BFI uh, site, you can watch it through there. And It's a film about railway safety this time, because we obviously covered farm safety when we did Apaches previously, and now it's time to obviously look at railway safety. And railway safety, for myself, was always... Uh, the information videos that I really remember being shown in school. Uh, in particular, Robbie, which was the film they brought out to replace this one, when it was uh, considered, you know, a little too graphic for uh, general consumption. But um, this one, as we said, is uh, all about uh, railway safety and sees a very unique sports day taking place on a railway line to educate us all about the dangers of railways. So, uh, yeah, lucky. Did you? Uh, what do you make of this one? Um, th- this is. Uh, I, I don't know what I made of this. This, this <laughs> is like I about halfway through. I had to turn it. I had to take a pause because it was just so surreal. I mean, is the lesson of this film don't play near railroad tracks, or is the lesson of this film adults are going to try to kill you? <laughs> I, I, I want to point out here, I mean, I, I want to point out, I think the thing that really needs to be pointed out here is in this film, they're having like a sports day and they're having all these sports that basically like you have to run across the tracks. You have to like shamble down a hill, run across tracks and then shamble up a hill. And while you're on the tracks, the train might come along and kill you. Then the next game is you have to throw rocks at an oncoming passenger train <laughs> Um, and it's like Death Race 2000. I mean, you get extra points. <laughs> you get extra points if you, like, grievously injure somebody. Okay. And the third game, the third game is you've got to, I guess, push people into the tracks, into the path of an oncoming train. I think that's what it was, was happening. And, I mean, the scoring was done in how many, te- how many people on each team were, you know, uh, uninjured, injured, or killed. And and finally, the final one is the Great Tunnel Walk, where <laughs> where all the surviving kids walk into a dark train tunnel <laughs> with an oncoming train. And I mean, if you if you, you, you sense a, a a theme here, and then you just get all of these this 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 really really sad footage of like all these injured kids coming out, all these kids slathered in blood. People carrying out courses of children, and all the time you have adults here. You have adults, adults. There's a marching band. They're playing some sort of marching band Sousa song. 
you know, while while all these kids are you have you have adults, you know, you know, reading off the scores and the results of each game and telling people what the rules of the game are. You know, it's not like the kids just thought somehow, oh, yeah, it's going to be super fun to see if you can get if, if we put a penny on the track, will it derail the train? You know, no, that's not it at all. That's not what happens here. What happens is that this is some sort of dystopian kind of, you know, uh, battle royale thing, you know, where the adults are just, I mean, I expected TV cameras, you know, filming (laughs) for television because, I, I mean, you are literally, the whole point of this film is just to show adults guiding children to their deaths. And, and and to be honest, I I did not I, I got I walked away thinking number one this is just way inappropriately graphic for kids and number two yeah. this is really a very poor illustration of the world. You know I mean my 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 takeaway from this is not just that railway railways are unsafe to play near. But that don't under any circumstances do what an adult tells you to do in a sporting context, in a sporting context, because they are trying to get you killed. That's generally the uh, consensus with like <laughs> with uh, what adults are up to in the nineteen seventies. Um, I mean, I thought you would have appreciated the fact it opens with some offcuts from Pink Floyd's "The Wall." <laughs> yeah, I, I did it's... notice that. As we have the headmaster uh, chastising the kids for playing near a railway line, where this uh, boy has this little daydream fantasy of, well, it wouldn't it be great if we had a sports day at the railway line because he's a sadistic little sod. But uh, this is all playing out in his head for whatever reason. Because he's psychotic. <laughs> Apparently so. But um, yeah, when I heard those opening lines, I just instantly thought you lack you because. You can't have your pudding if you don't eat your meat. Yeah, this actually predates the wall by a couple of years. I, I, I looked it. it. I looked it up because um, I saw a name here that I recognized, and I can't. I can't figure out where he is in the film, or even if it's the same, really the same guy. But there's an actor credited named Don Henderson, and he is a minor actor in the first Star Wars film. He's in the celebrated force choking scene as the guy who is not being force choked. He is the guy advocating okay. against the Death Star. Uh, General Tagi is his name. He is somewhere in this film, apparently, but I can't find him. Yeah, because I mean, we obviously got to remember that uh, David Prowse, the guy who played uh, Darth Vader, yep. he was the Green Cross Code man. And he even had his own knockoff R2-D2 as well. Um, and when we sort of ran out of questionable celebrities, because we had Jimmy Savile doing them, and we had Rolf Harris doing them, and uh, when we couldn't afford uh, to have celebrities do these anymore, we had like cartoons like Super Ted Turners to not run out in front of cars and stuff, but these real sort of classic ones are around like the late 70s and the 80s that we got these real real classic ones. This was actually the, one of the second ones that um, we have from from the director John Krish. Um Previously, he did uh, the short Drive Carefully, Darling, which is uh, back in 75. Uh, but as I said, this one was done for TV and they also showed it in schools, but it was um, deemed a little graphic, so they replaced it with Robbie, which is the 
safety movie I remember from school where the kid gets his uh, legs run over by the train because he decides to take a shortcut across the train tracks and uh, the key thing is that he's not going to be playing football no more but we still hang his uh, football boots on the back of his bedroom door almost like they were taunting him <laughs> they talk to him at night <laughs> it's like you're not going to need these anymore I gotta do a British accent <laughs> you're not going to be wearing me anymore are you Robbie no, because you had to go play by the train tracks, didn't you, eh? Yeah, yeah, you had to go play, let's chuck the rock and see if we can brain anybody, yeah? <laughs> so, yeah, we opened, obviously, this, this sports day, and I have to say that for, like, a child's fantasy, it's a very well-plored-out scene. You've got the, uh... <laughs> you got the teacher there having a go at one of the kids for throwing grass, and you're thinking, well, there's going to be real pale in comparison to some of the things you're going to be doing over the course of this day. You jump in front of a cane, but don't throw grass. Yeah, don't throw grass. And we got to see, oh, this is to the uh, big band theme of uh, Entrance of the... Uh, Cheer of the Gladiators, I believe the piece of music's called, but it's very kind of like Monty Python-esque sort of theme. It's this real joyous theme, and nobody ever seems really concerned about the imminent danger these kids are in, as the first event involves them breaking through a fence. So we're encouraging children to first of all vandalise the fence to get down to the tracks. So that's always a good start. And then we're straight on to the first one where they're playing chicken on the line, which essentially just uh, seeing who can fall over in front of a train. And then uh, we have the most, have a your favorite event, Lackey, where we throw rocks <laughs> at the passing train. What I loved about the, that game was that they were chucking colored rocks. They had been painted in colors of the teams. <laughs> and then you had adults going on the train afterwards. They stopped the train going on and saying, okay, you know, this, okay, so we got a green rock here that broke the window. That's two points for green. Oh, this woman was hit by a, the head by a yellow rock. You know, that's, it's five points for, you know, it looks like they actually killed the driver. Red, that's 10 points for red. I'm like, is this a safety film or is this Death Race 2000? <laughs> they were actually throwing sponges, um, in the actual show. It wasn't actually rocks. So you can see actually one of the rocks, like, bounces off the train. Oh, God. But um, yeah, the that scene is particularly rough, especially when you get to the driver, who's like clutching his face, is just like this bloody mask. Um, so <laughs> obviously, we uh, from there we're on to the uh, let's see now. So, the, so we have more running across the tracks because. Apparently, we didn't learn anything from the earlier chicken one before, as you said. They have to do the tunnel walk, and it's it's so um, bizarre the fact you have this really long shot of like all these children walking into the tunnel. They'll be death marched in there, and then we cut to the train on the other side going in <laughs> before we see children staggering out, bloody and traumatized and shell shocked, before um, the adults go in to. Uh, so they bring out the dead and lay them out like a World War One field hospital <laughs> on the tracks. On the no tracks. Less. On the tracks. Um, and um, yeah, nobody's the slightest bit concerned about the fact we just wiped out some child's school. Um, and there's—I don't even know what you get for for surviving this horrific sports day. <laughs> it's not like anyone gets medals or like. 
a trophy or anything. We just all we see is just like the carnage that this sports day causes on this school. You get, so. you get. I don't know what you get. You get, you get to survive. You get to survive till next year. <laughs> and, and survival is the greatest reward. Survival is the only. And I just kept thinking. I just kept thinking. God, this would be like such a great Stephen, like mid '70s Stephen King novel. You know, this could have been the sequel to The Long Walk. You know. Yeah. It's um. It's, it's it's so surreal when you when you watch this and you think, well, this is you know, what we were we're doing to teach kids like don't play on the railway, but just by traumatizing the hell out of uh-huh. them. And the British, I don't know what it is about the British Railway um, Police, but they just love to traumatize kids with these videos because mm-hmm. they did the one that came after this was obviously Robbie, which I remember, and the one that they did after that was the one where they. Kids are playing hide and seek at the start, and uh, one of them's hiding between two train carriages and gets crushed because um, a train shunts it at the other end. And it's, I remember <laughs> that the kid was called Beetle, and uh, someone piped up when it happened. It's like Beetle's been squashed, <laughs> <laughs> which basically means that you've now lost this class like forever because all they can think of is just some wise ass. <laughs> <laughs> Coil has piped up and killed any move that you may have built up in that first ten minutes. So, oh. um, and there was another shot as well. It's like it was like don't hang on to trains when they like passing for the station. Just like a pair of smoking boots to the left, which I don't know if that happens or not, but <laughs> kind of makes you want to try. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, you guys in the states didn't have like you know no this sort of no, thing. Like, no, we didn't. I like don't lick the end of your shotgun while testing <laughs> the trigger action. Yeah, you know. <laughs> don't run with scissors. Yeah, we didn't. Um, yeah, we didn't have these things. So, uh, we, we, I'm curious, we, how do you know like not to do things in the states? We don't. Just let him. <laughs> and, and, and remember, we're we're a libertarian country. You, you just basically learn okay. for yourself. You know, yeah. You just learn for it, 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 It's as simple as that. You know, <laughs> you'll 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 either learn you'll you'll either learn not to lick the end of a, of a shotgun when you're you know not to point the the, the shotgun at your own face. You know, yeah. while you're you know loading it, or you or you don't, and you die. I mean, come on, we're the people that came up with the scene. In Star Wars, where you know Luke Skywalker is given a, a, a an unignited <laughs> lightsaber, and the first thing he does is he points it at his own face. I mean, I, I mean, we are we are America. We are not a sensible country. <laughs> the real hopes of the resistance were just <laughs> hanging in that moment, really, weren't they? Basically, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, come on, you should you you how, how can you not look? At the, at the last 20 years of our history and get the not understand that, you know, we are not a sensible country. We do not have common sense here. Oh, I remember when I went to work in the States, we went down to the local range because, you know, being Brits and from countries where we don't have guns, it's a big thing when you go to America to go and shoot guns. So we went down to this guy's range and he's like a big gun like collector, and he's written a number of like papers and stuff, and he's a real and done like safety talks and everything. But he's basically got like 
his gun museum down there, and he's even got like the minigun off some battleship from somehow. Uh-huh. And him and his uh, buddies just their their thing a weekend is just to have shooting parties where they shoot drones and gunners, what else out the sky. But it sounds like World War Two is going off down the down the street while this is all going on. And his, I remember him saying this all like, oh yeah, people around here think that I'm some sort of gun man. And I'm thinking, you've got hundreds of guns. What would you possibly think gave him that idea? <laughs> people think I'm some sort of gun nut. That, that, that is, I, I'm going to be honest with you all, with that, that is not actually the American definition of a gun nut. That guy does not have enough guns to qualify. How, to on how many guns do you have and to be? The answer is the all of them. All the guns. You have to have all the guns to be a gun nut. I mean, dear God, it, it's it's our our love affair with things that you know fire out projectiles at an insane velocity, and justifying yeah. our ownership of you know things that are created to you know kill people. You know, we're 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 a messed up. We're 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 a bunch of sick little fuckers. <laughs> produce some really great TV. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> that's yeah, we I mean, that, that's, I mean, sure, we have gun violence, but we also gave the world The Simpsons, you know? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm still... I was trying to, like, think of why, you know, the lasting appeal of The Simpsons the other day, and the fact that I've just come to the conclusion that it's just comfort now. It's just got that familiarity to uh-huh. it. But occasionally I throw something that we weren't expecting, like the comic book's courtship of uh, Kuriko, uh-huh. his um, Japanese girlfriend. Just what a wonderful saga that's been within this this series. And it's just those sort of moments you sort of hang on to. But I just, as I say, it's just we, we have moments like like when we look at these helpers. Hey, I'm Danielle Robay. Like, Here's your list of what... Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it just, just we think that you guys are like crazy, and then it's like we look back at like things we show to kids in like school to not have them play on the power lines and stuff, and it's like no, I think we've we've got our own brand of crazy happening here as well. Oh yeah. So obviously, compared to like Apaches, I mean, do you think this played better than Apaches, or do you still prefer do you prefer Apaches? I think Apaches is probably a more effective uh, at what it was trying to do. Yeah. This this is um dear dear God I mean the the thing about this is that it it this does not even uh, this is I, I, it's not that it's graphic even necessarily that it's it's just so weird you know it's weird in a way that Apaches isn't because yeah. it's a fantasy because it's like a fantasy sequence in a kid's brain um. Uh, but it, it, it it's really has a, a very strong distrust of authority in here that, uh, you know, you don't really expect from safety films, you know, you don't, you know, you know, you don't expect safety films to come off on the same, you know, the same, you know, you don't expect a safety film to tell you to not trust authority. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, that's the thing I kept going back to. It's like the adults are leading them into this. It's like the adults want them to do this. They're getting off on this. You know, it is, it does really sort of bring in the question is like, what is the point, point of this? It's, it's, yeah, I mean, I get it's a, a sports day, but who in their right mind thinks that this is a good idea? 
And you obviously get the idea that this isn't the first time that they've done this because of how well organized. It I mean, is. it's amazing. Well, it's amazingly well organized. Um, I just, I just want to know, like, if you're on the train, which is now getting pelted at by homicidal primary school kids, do you know that this is what you're signing up for, or is it are you just like happen to be on the train and the train's just randomly selected because it's going past? It, this is um. What a lot of people don't realize is this is um, part of the Thatcher government's plan to privatize the railroads by making them unsafe. You know, making making you know British Rail bringing under safety numbers. I have to say that's like the most emptiest train carriage I've ever seen on British Rail. Normally, you're crammed in there like a Japanese uh, subway train. Uh, yeah, actually, my experience on British Rail was at British Railways, at least the Virgin trains, they were very comfortable. Um, did not feel did that... not feel like a sardine at all. Oh, just every time I've gone on on like tra- train, especially if you're going past central cities, it's always so crammed in there. And even though you reserve your seat, there's always some like old biddy or something that's in it, and you feel so bad that you can't shift her out. So you're just st- stuck like hanging out in the hallway with like the hobo riding the rails. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about on Safe the Life? Uh, no, no. Cool. Uh, as I say, it's available out there. You can watch it through BFI. Um, it's available on a few other sources out there as well. So um, I would say hunt it down if you like uh, public safety movies. But obviously this brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you as always for listening. Thanks to my co-host, Mr. Lackey. Always glad to be here. Uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to be listening to us. And, you know, Maybe lose a review, lose a rating. It all helps raise the profile of the show. Um, next episode, what would you like to look at? Well, you know, there's a, a long and storied tradition, uh, both in real life and in fiction, in, 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 of dystopian child abuse. So uh, this this uh, reminded me uh it reminded me when the when i was uh I, I was reminded when i watched the the finishing line the the existence that the bbc had adapted um john christopher's white mountains novels for a series in the mid 80s so um that that to me is the you know the the, the pinnacle of uh you know let's 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 lead children to their doom Infection. So we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing season one, episode one of the Tripods. Oh, interesting! So I'm very curious to uh, to check it out because it's one of those ones that's always been. I remember seeing it as a kid, but I don't really remember what it was about. I think I just remember like little bits and pieces of it, um, and in particular the Tripods because I was. A, big fan of War of the Worlds and I think that's why it resonated with me but obviously with the you know the film versions you never got the tripods right. so I think it was, I think just it was always uh, really kind of confusing obviously how um, how that's sort all of linked into it because I had in my mind that oh, they're all linked but I never knew I could never like place it was the tripods two years later so I'm very interested to uh, check that out it'll probably suck it, oh, was, it was. It was. It was the mid '80s. It's mid '80s British science fiction for crying out loud. Okay, 
Um, now, I've got a couple of options for you. I mean, we can either do something superhero related or we can do one of your fandoms. Um, I don't know what you feel. Let's do, let's do, um, let's do superheroes. Okay. Um, right. So the, what we're going to watch then, uh, for my pick, we're going to watch, um, a couple of episodes of Batman Beyond, also known as Batman of the Future. Ooh, cool. I've never seen Um, Batman Beyond. Yeah, it's uh, basically set in a future vision of Gotham. Bruce has retired and hung up the mantle of the bat and is passed on to um, his protege of sorts, Terry McGuinness, um, who initially steals the suit, bat suit to um, avenge his father's death, but ends up becoming the new Batman in this futuristic vision, version of Gotham, where Barbara Gordon has retired as Batgirl and is now the commissioner of um, Gotham Police. And there's a whole host of new villains for uh, for the new Batman to deal with. As I said, I'm not going to start with the pilot episode, because I think like Firefly was a very sort of slow one, and it's not particularly interested but we're going to look at episode three of season one which is called blackout and it's follow-up of sorts disappearing ink um both episodes focusing on a new villain of the batman universe called ink and uh because one episode follows on to the next uh next and there's some interesting elements in both that's where we're going to look at uh both of those uh episodes so yeah awesome. batman uh, beyond and the tripods on our next episode but um Until then, thank you as always for listening, and we will be back very soon. Good night.